What is up? And welcome back to Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers. As always, I am your host, Brandon Silvers. Do you know what time it is? Yeah, yeah, it is time to subscribe, rate, review, and share. But actually, what I'm talking about is it's time for the second annual Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers NBA preview. I reviewed the tape of last year's preview so I can be even better at this because, you know, that's what I do. No need to thank me. And I realize that there's one way to do this that's better than all the rest. More reliable, more scientific, more accurate, all that. And that's using what we in the business call the eye test. That's right. I'm going to break down each team, splitting the videos up by division, using what my eyeballs tell me. What do I love? What do I hate? And most importantly, could they possibly see an NBA title this season? So let's get into it. It is time for the Southeast Division Eye Test, and we have to start off with the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks were a very symmetrical 41-41 last year and lost in the first round to the Celtics. Vegas thinks there will be more of the same this year and has set their over-under at 42.5 wins, what do I love about this team in their first full season under coach Quinn Snyder? Honestly, what better place to start than with Snyder himself? Despite looking like a tortured 19th century pianist teleported to the 1980s and forced to sell stocks, he's actually a very good basketball coach, and word on the street is that he took this job near the end of last season because his wife loves the city of Atlanta. Hard to blame her because that place is awesome. Anyways, Quinn has always had some level of success everywhere he's coached, and this kind of seems like a great spot for him since he knows how to get the most out of an undersized backcourt that's the focus of the offense. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray do what they do differently than Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley Jr. did under Quinn in Utah, but they're effective nonetheless. Murray uses his 6'10 wingspan to disrupt passing lanes and get steals, and his shooting numbers were up across the board last year, including an increased willingness to take threes. He held steady at 21 points per game and his rebounds and assists were down due to playing a different role here, but it's not like he forgot how to do either one of those things. Trey Young is obviously the star here. If you know me, you know he'll be a major part of the things I hate section, but on paper, I should like him. He's an undersized guard who loves to shoot it from anywhere and piss off opposing fans. That's me. As much as he bothers me, he averaged 10 assists a game last year for the first time ever. You know he's going to get you between 8 and 10 assists. He's going to get you 25 plus points. He's not going to be afraid to take clutch shots. Those are good qualities to have in your star player. They also finally moved John Collins. Now, they were late as hell doing it, and they basically got nothing in return, but he had reached the ceiling here. He didn't mesh with Trey in any way, shape, or form. It was time to go. This is a team with a lot of willing and able shooters. We just talked about Trey. DeJounte is not quite there yet, but improved, and Wesley Matthews is streaky but capable. Then you have A.J. Griffin, who was 39% last year as a rookie, Patty Mills, who has my dream job and is 39% for his career, Sadiq Bey, who was 40% in 25 games after coming over from the Pistons, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I don't ever recall seeing miss ever. On top of that, I don't know how much time he'll get this year, but they also drafted Kobe Bufkin, who was one of the best shooters in this past year's draft. In today's NBA, you want shooters, and they got them. They also have two bigs who are essentially interchangeable in Capella and Okongwu. You're going to get 20 and 20 with two blocks between them, and they're going to shoot a high percentage because all their shots are dunks off of pick and rolls with Trey. There's a lot here for Snyder to work with. He's made situations like this work before. So what do I hate? 
Who plays power forward here? Is it Griffin and Bay? That certainly will let you spread the floor, but how do you rebound? How do you defend? Particularly when you already have one of the most picked on players in the league on defense in Trey. Speaking of Trey, you already know I'm on the record as saying he needs to cut his hair, he doesn't feel genuine when he's playing the villain, and how he always feels like he's trying to manufacture a moment for himself, so I'm going to try to keep it strictly basketball here. Is it really sustainable to build your franchise around a guy who's 165 pounds and an inconsistent chucker? Remember when I said Murray wasn't quite there yet with his three-point shot? Well, Trey shot a worse percentage than he did last season at 33.5%. It was his worst shooting year since his rookie season, but even at his most accurate, he's still nowhere near good enough to shoot the types of shots he shoots or the amount of attempts he takes. He shoots Steph Curry type shots, but his best season ever was Steph's worst. Overall, Steph is 8% better on even more volume than Trey. It's really not even close. To continue with the Steph comp, as much success as Quinn has had with undersized backcourts, this one feels a lot like that Steph Monte Ellis backcourt Golden State used to have, except much worse. I'm not sure how they'll ever have any real success building around these two. So what do you do? Do you hope DeJounte develops a more consistent three-pointer? Do you hope Trey learns that offense isn't Trey first, Trey second, and Trey third? To me, if Trey's going to continue to carry himself like a superstar and get superstar treatment from the franchise, this is his prove it year. Show us you're a superstar. You don't have to be Steph Curry. Can you be efficient? Can you make your teammates better? Can you play winning basketball? It's been five years. They fired two coaches for him. Time's up. They have a couple of other guys whose time might be up too. I told you Patty Mills and Wesley Matthews can shoot. Maybe I should have said could. Patty is one of my favorite players to watch. Again, a small guy who just comes in and fires away. Last year, it didn't look how it used to look. Was he banged up? Was he just not getting enough playing time? Or is it simply that he's even older than I am and father time is undefeated? Same with Wesley Matthews, even older than Patty. Made a name for himself back when Jerry Sloan was still coaching the Jazz as a gritty defender who could hit threes. He tore his Achilles in 2015. And I always pull for Achilles guys because I know how it is. Took him a season or two to return to form, but it's been downhill the past few seasons. The question isn't even how much is left in the tank, but is there anything left in the tank? How about a younger guy who's out of time? Not in terms of his career per se, but maybe his time here. DeAndre Hunter has just never turned into what he was supposed to be. I could have told you this because I don't trust players who played at Virginia. Virginia does to players' offensive skills what Syracuse does to their defense. You're just stunted if and when you get to the next level because they play a style that only works in college. DeAndre has just never been able to develop any consistency with his handle or his shot at this level to be anything other than a guy who makes you say, hey, he's shown some flashes. He's a poor man's Harrison Barnes, and you don't even want to be a rich man's Harrison Barnes. It might be time to move on from him, and it's definitely time to move on to the eye test. Clearly, they're not going to see a title this year. You know their eyes aren't that good. Why else would Trey walk out the house with his hair looking like that and take the shots he takes? I want to pull for this team simply because I love Atlanta like Quinn's wife and I could go to games, but they have too much to figure out. And when they figure it out, they have to make some moves to improve. If I'm the GM, which I should be, I'm looking to move Trey. That's my hot take. Even at his best, he can't be your number one guy. He got you to that fluky Eastern Conference Finals a couple seasons ago, and that's as good as it's going to get. That would also have the added effect of allowing me to feel more comfortable pulling for the Hawks in their non-Laker games. 
Otherwise, they're probably stuck in that 40 to 45 win purgatory until the end of time. All right, speaking of teams I'd like to pull for due to proximity reasons, let's move on to the Charlotte Hornets. What an awful season that was last year, 27 and 55. Vegas has moved your over-under all the way up to 30 and a half wins. Steve Clifford is the coach, his second time here. He must love him, but what do I love about him? Look, I couldn't believe when this team drafted Jalen Duran only to trade him and end up with Mark Williams, but it looks like I was dead wrong. He played in the G League a bit and you wondered what was going on, but it turns out that was just to get him valuable reps in Clifford's system instead of just letting him sit on the bench doing nothing behind a bunch of other post players. When he got brought up, he was a factor on defense immediately. On a team whose overall defensive rating was a 115, he was a 109, which is not an insignificant improvement. He also averaged a double-double when he played more than 20 minutes. What does he end up being? Can he be a Tyson Chandler-type defensive anchor who gets you easy buckets on offensive rebounds and rim runs? So far, so good. I also like that they brought back P.J. Washington. He's a solid four in today's league. Not really sure why they were dragging their feet with this deal. Hmm, wow. Uh, okay, getting a little hard to find nice things to say about him. I mean, the colors are nice, and remember the 90s version of this team? They were fun, right? LJ, Zoe, Muggsy, Starter Jackets, a little bit of Glenn Rice, Eddie Jones, Eldon Campbell action at the end of the decade. Okay, look, that's it. I don't have anything else. So let's talk about what I hate about him. Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson when you need a point guard and everyone else has him rated above Miller? Really? Good thing Miller didn't look awful at the end of his college season all the way through summer league, right? Is there a winning basketball player outside of Mark Williams on this roster? LaMelo gets the numbers and the press like he's a superstar, but close your eyes and just try to picture him as the leader of a championship team. Can you do it? Of course not. He's a completely unserious player. What's wild is if he approached the game like Lonzo, particularly on defense and playmaking, he might be, even though he has the personality of the worst TikTokers you've ever seen. Who else is here? Scary Terry? Is there anyone outside of the Hornets front office who is shocked that the more shots you gave him, the more he missed? You had to overpay for Gordon Hayward, and I, I get it, but now he is cooked. But hey, at least you're only reminded of that 50 games a year since that's all he can play. Even worse than the on-the-court stuff here is the off-court stuff. Did they hire the HR department from the Wolf of Wall Street to run this place? Miles Bridges came back after sitting out all of last season because nobody gave him a contract while he was dealing with domestic violence allegations. He entered a no-contest plea to a felony charge related to that, and he got probation. You heard very little about what was going on until the league came out and said they were going to suspend him for 30 games, but somehow 20 were considered already served from the season he sat out since he didn't have a contract, so really a 10-game suspension this year. Charlotte was like, okay, cool, we'll sign him now, because I guess they figured he was magically cured or he had worked on himself and grown since all that happened, but surprise, surprise, it happened again. He allegedly violated the protective order from the previous incident and smashed the victim's windshield. So now I don't even know what they're doing with him. And honestly, it doesn't even matter because who cares? The human portion of this, that's the story. So hopefully the victim and the kids who they have together who have apparently had to witness all this bullshit are okay. 
Leagues handling legal issues is a whole mess. I need to do an episode on it one day. They almost always get it wrong. Please remind me. If the Miles Bridges stuff wasn't enough, they also had James Booknight get arrested for a DWI last season, and LaMelo got caught multiple times driving recklessly leaving the arena. This is even wilder for the Hornets because I remember the day Bobby Phils died racing David Wesley after practice. In case all that wasn't enough, they drafted Miller, who became a household name for his involvement in a murder case. Now, it does look like he had nothing to do with the murder, and he cooperated with police to help get as much figured out as possible, but why bring that kid into this mess? And then they had the summer of Kai Jones. He was a 2021 first round pick by the Knicks, traded to Charlotte like right after the draft, Six foot eleven freak athlete who was raw but intriguing. He hadn't done a lot on the court. You can kind of understand why now. He spent the whole summer in the midst of what I can only assume is some sort of mental crisis. I can't think of any other explanation for his behavior. Just getting on Instagram and rambling about teammates, talking gibberish, and dancing his motherfucking ass off. Dancing to the point that he's covered in sweat. Do you know how much dancing that is? It all came to a head a couple weeks ago when he sent out a tweet demanding a trade and the Hornets waved him. I'm hoping if I am right and it is a mental health thing, he can still get the help he needs. That shit was crazy though. This organization is just a fucking mess. They need to get it together off the court before they worry about winning games. They need to bring in some vets who can show these guys how to be professionals. They have a lot of young talent and it's going to go to waste if this is the environment they have to develop in. All right, enough of my intervention. Let's discuss the results of their eye test. Let's not fuck around. This team is not seeing a title this year. This is child piano prodigy level blindness. Again, they need to get their house in order. This is embarrassing. I want them to be good. They're always fun when they're good. With the way things look here now, though, they need to hang a banner for that 43-win season they had a couple of years ago. They've got a new owner now, so there's hope if for no other reason than you don't know how much he sucks yet. And Mr. Beast is putting his Feastables patch on their jerseys, so the thumbnails for the team videos might improve. Other than that, yikes. Okay, let's move on to an organization that has a much better culture. Don't believe me? Just ask them. That's right, it's time to talk about the Miami Heat. 44-38 last regular season under Eric Spolstra, but that doesn't really matter because this is a team that lives for the playoffs and they made another incredible run to the finals before turning back into a pumpkin and losing to Denver. Vegas says 45 and a half wins this year. What do I love about the Heat? Look, I know a lot about sports. I know a lot about NBA basketball. I have been an NBA fan since literally preschool. The Miami Heat are the only team in all of my NBA watching experience that I am just unable to explain. Best I can figure, they simply believe they're mentally tougher than every other team, they believe they're better than every other team, and they have a huge chip on their shoulder because they believe that nobody else believes these things about them, and they're able to ride that to levels of success way past their actual talent level. It seems crazy, but it ain't crazy if it works, and it works. Pat Riley is the architect of it all. If you've read the book Winning Time is Based On, you know he's a lunatic, but also one of the greatest motivational geniuses in NBA history. How many people in LeBron's career have told him no? Probably just Pat when LeBron wanted Spolstra fired, and look how that turned out. LeBron got his rings here, and Eric has turned into one of the best coaches in the NBA, 
Greg Popovich might be the only coach I trust more. On the court, Jimmy Butler is the embodiment of Heat culture. When you think of great wing players, you think of aesthetically pleasing playing styles. Jordan, Kobe, Clyde Drexler, almost like ballet. Jimmy has none of that to his game. He's just a gritty player. He wills the ball into the hoop. He fights for rebounds. He's a physical defender. He does the dirty work. It doesn't look pretty, but it's effective. More importantly, he's got the attitude. He gets in everyone's face, teammates, opponents, whoever. He sets the tone. It's one thing for now finally retired Udonis Haslam to do it when he's rarely playing. This guy does all that and goes out and plays all out however much you need him to. He willed them to the finals last year. They looked dead in the play-in after losing big to the Hawks and needing to beat Chicago in a do-or-die game. They looked dead playing the one-seed Bucks, especially after Tyler Hero went down almost immediately. They looked dead against the more talented Celtics after blowing a 3-0 lead and playing Game 7 on the road. But Jimmy willed them into being the Undertaker meme over and over and over again until they ran into Denver. They've reached the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the past four seasons. When you look at this roster, it makes no sense. They do have talent, though. Tyler Hero is a very good shooter and acts like he might be trying to develop other parts of his offensive game, too. Bam Adebayo is the rare 20-10 guy who can defend and has playmaking skills. They always find players nobody else wants and turn them into solid contributors. They're the island of misfit toys of the NBA, undrafted, cut, Come to Miami and show the league you know how to play. I'm a big fan of their first round pick this year, Jaime Jaquez. He could do a little bit of everything at UCLA and he seems like a great culture fit too. So what do I hate about the Heat? They're absolutely insufferable. Jimmy Butler seems like an awful hang. He overcharges for his coffee. He keeps doing this weird hair shit on media day that we're supposed to pretend is funny. He's also the rare player who we all acknowledge is good enough to lead a team to the finals who never gets criticism for a shitty playoff game. Let LeBron go out there and go 5 for 18 to lose the finals and see what everyone has to say. All praise, no criticism, but still has that heat culture chip on his shoulder. And for a culture that's built on mental toughness and all that, how do you explain Bam Adebayo? All the talent and tools in the world, but you can see him shrink in real time, just refusing to shoot the ball. We're not even talking game winners either, just freezing and passing up a 15-footer with eight minutes left in the second. Then there's Tyler Hero. This is who you refuse to trade for an actual superstar? Really? The guy who y'all can make the NBA Finals without? Basketball Jack Harlow? He's a superstar on Instagram and in Pat Riley's mind only. He also serves as another reminder that Riley has probably lost his fastball as far as putting teams together goes. They've spent years chasing superstars since the Big Three left and have landed mm, Jimmy Butler. They wouldn't trade Hero, who can shoot but doesn't defend, in packages for James Harden, Bradley Beal, or Dame Lillard, all of whom would have been considerable upgrades. I'm not even sure why Portland would want Hero, since they already have a guy in Anthony Simons who is better, along with several other guys whose skill sets overlap. They wouldn't trade Bam in any of these packages either, even though, again, these would have been considerable upgrades. Bam has the talent of an all-NBA guy, but we've known for a while that he'll never be that. They threw so much money at Duncan Robinson that he got scared about having to live up to the contract and forgot how to shoot. And they backed up the Brinks truck for a Kyle Lowry the rest of us knew was washed up and who directly contradicts all that best-conditioned team propaganda they put out. He can't play offense, he can't do anything on defense except flop, and he keeps gaining weight. 
and they lost two of their bigger contributors from last year's finals run in Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. And as good as they are at developing talent, who on this roster looks capable of replacing them right now? So with all that being said, what are the results of their eye test? Could they possibly see an NBA championship this year? This is a tough one. I never think they're going to be any good, but they keep making me look stupid. It felt like last year's finals run along with whiffing on Dame was their window slamming shut. But I'll be damned if they make me look dumb in the same way again. So yes, they could somehow see a championship this season. Despite being poked in the eye, having cataracts, getting pepper sprayed, they still somehow could. I can't explain it. Nobody can, but whatever. They'll just do what they always do, survive the regular season. We'll see who comes forward as someone they can count on. Maybe it's Hakez. Maybe Hero is motivated by all the trade talks. Maybe Duncan regains his confidence. They'll get to the playoffs and have to make a decision about whether or not to take Jimmy Butler off life support. They'll pull the plug on him. And next thing you know, he's on the court, fully caffeinated, dragging this team to the finals again. I simply have to believe in them. They always have a shot until someone proves otherwise. And I'm begging someone to prove otherwise this year because I can't take it anymore. They ruined my previews. Okay, let's stay in Florida and talk about the Orlando Magic. You didn't hear a lot about this team last year, but they exceeded expectations under coach Jamal Mosley and went 34 and 48. Vegas has set this year's over under at 37 and a half. Who is even on this team and what do I love about them? Look, let's not pretend any of us actually kept up with this team, all right? But I have done my research so you don't have to, and they actually have a gang of young talent here. Paolo Bancaro is the main attraction here. After seeing how hard teams made him work to score at times when he was at Duke, I didn't get them drafting him at number one overall. He promptly won Rookie of the Year. Was it always pretty or efficient for him? No, but he was also asked to do a lot more than he should have been. He's a very physical player, 6'10", 250. During his time with Team USA, you could see where he's probably playing the five long term. He reminds some people of Giannis more so in terms of playing style than talent. If he can mimic those things on offense and defense, how good can he be? I don't think he comes close to Giannis talent-wise, but future All-Star certainly looks reasonable. Speaking of international play, Franz Wagner was one of the best players for FIBA World Cup champion Germany. We don't take non-Olympic competitions seriously here in the US, wrongfully so in my opinion, but they do in other countries, so these were highly competitive minutes he was producing in. Fantastic experience for a young player who took a leap last year for the Magic as well, putting up 19-4-4. He can shoot it, he's incredibly durable, only missing five games in his two seasons, and he looks like another potential all-star in the making. I feel like the talk surrounding Jalen Suggs when he was at Gonzaga was about his offense, particularly his court vision. It looks like his best NBA skill is going to be his defense, though. He's someone who can guard the other team's primary ball handler and make their life a living hell. He's going to get deflections, steals, blocks, and make you work to initiate your offense. His own offense still has a long ways to go, but was much improved last year. They bring Cole Anthony off the bench for instant offense. Markel Fultz is here too, and he had his best season as a pro last year. His three-pointer may never come back, but he's a great ball handler, has figured out how to score without needing his three-pointer, and is another guy who can defend. And finally, there's Wendell Carter Jr. You don't expect much from people named Wendell, but he's an exception to the rule. With the way his jumper is improving, he might end up being a 20 and 10 guy himself. That'll also allow him to play alongside Paolo Moore and and maintain their spacing on offense. The oldest of the guys I mentioned is Fultz at 25. They were already better than expected last year and have a lot of room to grow. 
So what do I hate about them? Can they stay healthy? It doesn't look like it. Paolo and Franz were the only two players here who played 70 games for them last year. In six seasons, Fultz has played fewer than 20 games four times. Suggs, Anthony, and Carter are all 50 to 60 game guys too. This was the main reason Paolo was thrown into the fire. Young teams need to play. They need to develop chemistry with each other. You can't do that when all of them are in street clothes. Speaking of injuries, Jonathan Isaac is still here and he makes everyone I just mentioned look like AC Green, which is funny because off the court, he's got a lot more in common with AC. He missed two and a half seasons due to injury before coming back last year. He lasted a whole 11 games before another season-ending injury. He spent the majority of his recovery time trying to be the NBA's Tim Scott, probably the favorite player of their owner, Richard DeVos, who's used the money he's made from MLM scheme Amway to buy the magic and fund all of the worst ideas Republicans can come up with. This is reason enough to pull against them. Let's just move on to the results of the eye test. Okay, no NBA title for them this year because both God and the basketball gods hate the DeVos family, understandably so. But I will say they're close to having a nice little squad here. Obviously, they need to be healthier, but the pieces they have are much better than you would think for a team you haven't paid any attention to since Dwight left. Their youth is also a factor here. I guess their eye problem would be that of a newborn where they really can't see anything past a couple of feet. They need more experience. I do think they could sneak into the playoffs if things go their way. They have too much offensive talent to have the struggle scoring they did last year, some easier buckets, some health, maintain where they were on defense, and they could be knocking on the door of 40, 42 wins. And finally, let's talk about the Washington Wizards. The new look Washington Wizards, I should say, 35 and 47 last year. Vegas thinks that's out of the question and has set the over under at 24 and a half wins. What do I like about Wes Unsell Jr.'s team? If nothing else, this will be an entertaining team to watch in a mostly hilarious way, yes, but we'll get to that in a bit. Jordan Poole's here now, clearly needed a change of scenery, Clearly wanted to go somewhere where he could be the man. Here you go. Be careful what you wish for, but here you go. His scoring ability is what intrigues you. It's easy to make fun of him and critique him, which I will prove in a couple of minutes. But he's still the guy who, for short stretches, could carry a team that was on its way to an NBA title. A guy who, if perhaps I forgot to put my own contacts in, I could maybe possibly mistake for Steph Curry. He's got the keys to the offense, so we'll get to see exactly what he can be. Kyle Kuzma is in the passenger seat, and he had a very good year last year. He put up 21-7-4, basically continuing that trajectory that Lakers fans, such as myself, thought he was on early in his career. They brought in Tyus Jones, who was maybe the best backup point guard in the league last year, and who, again, slightly, maybe not so slightly, resembles Craig David if he were a werewolf to be their starting point guard, and he just flat out doesn't turn the ball over. Corey Kispert is a much better pro than I thought he would be. Can he have that J.J. Reddick career arc? He's a little bit bigger than J.J. and he doesn't have a podcast, but he can really shoot the hell out the ball. Rookie Bilal Koulibaly is a very interesting prospect with a great name. 
He was teammates with Victor Wimbanyama, and everyone was obviously watching Vic's tape, and they were like, wait a second, this other guy, he can play too. 6'8", with a 7'2 wingspan. Athletically, he has all the gifts. Quick, explosive, he can get out on the break and finish. If nothing else, he should be a nightmare of a defender. Now, he's a long ways away. He needs to put on weight. We have to see how that affects his athleticism. His shot hasn't been awful, 45% on very low volume, but does it continue to develop? A lot of question marks, but man, he could really be a Mikhail Bridges type guy, if not even better. There are some fun things here, so what do I hate? Are you familiar with Jordan Poole? We've already had a preseason game where he dropped 41 for some reason and was shooting so much that Denny Abdia was standing on the wing looking exasperated. Imagine how he must be in practice if Denny's already fed up in preseason. I mean, I guess we kind of saw because Draymond knocked him out in the NBA's version of Freddie versus Jason. The internet was talking about Jordan like he was Chris Rock. And you want to feel bad about it because violence is never the answer and Draymond is awful. But man, Jordan seems annoying as fuck. If Denny ever thinks he's getting the ball, just remember Jordan is the same dude who wouldn't pass to Steph Curry, the greatest shooter we've ever seen. Late in a January game against Western Conference rival Memphis, Steph Curry, again, the greatest shooter of all time, came around a series of screens wide open, calling for the ball. Jordan Poole had the ball 30 feet from the basket. He didn't even look Steph's way. He just fired up a shot that didn't go in. Steph was so pissed, he threw his mouthpiece into the crowd and got ejected. That's his trademark move, by the way. He's only ever been ejected for throwing his mouthpiece. However, this was the first time he, or anybody I can actually think of, has been ejected for being mad at a teammate. Now to Poole's credit, he did end up hitting the game winner in that game, which probably saved him more problems with Draymond, but the post-game interview killed me. By that point, everybody knew why Steph had gotten mad enough to get ejected, so the sideline reporter asked him what he took from that moment. Jordan, aka Mr. Self-Awareness, basically said that Steph is a legend who should never get thrown out at the end of the game like that, and he doesn't know what happened. The reporter was like, uh, no, bro. He got ejected because you took that wild-ass shot and he wanted to kill you, but it just wasn't clicking for our guy Jordan. And that, my friends, is the Jordan Poole experience. A streaky shooter who can get hot and take over games at times, but a room temperature basketball IQ and no real self-awareness. It's a tough spot to be in because that irrational confidence is part of what makes him good, but it's also important to know thyself. The only thing worse than an irrationally confident Jordan Poole might be a no confidence having Jordan Poole, which is exactly what Golden State got in the playoffs last year. He stunk it up bad, and he's completely unplayable when he's not making shots because he plays no defense at all. He actually actively avoids defense in a hilarious manner, as Andre Iguodala explained on his podcast, where he said he had to tell Jordan to stop falling down on purpose so he wouldn't have to run back and play D. Imagine just going full-on fainting goat so you cannot have to guard anybody. Just completely unserious. Speaking of unserious, Kyle Kuzma is the perfect sidekick for Jordan. They're the Shaq and Kobe of ridiculousness. Kuzma dresses like an asshole, and he's already bleached his hair blonde except for a bright red lipstick design. These two are going to put up 50 shots a game and try to leave with twice as many phone numbers. Like I said, an entertaining team to watch, but mostly in a hilarious way. But what are the results of their eye test? Some of the bleach from Kyle's hair must have gotten in their eyes because they won't be seeing anything 
this year except the draft lottery. This is a very bad team. The only possible saving grace is the opportunity to develop some of their younger guys. Outside of that, they should probably be playing their home games at a circus. And that will do it for the Southeast Division Preview. Go check out the other previews if you haven't already. If you have, check them out again. Appreciate you watching, listening, rating, subscribing, reviewing, and sharing. And I'll catch you later.